You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? It is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us here on the Decoding Success Podcast. Now, I want to kick this episode off here today with elaborating on how damn blessed we are for being able to host some amazing individuals. And you want to know what? Today is no different, which is exactly why I'm bringing this up. Today, we are joined by an amazing individual who is sharing his systems that have worked for him in his respective industry, which are applicable in yours as well. All of his success stories, all of his experiences, his beliefs, his knowledge, his wisdom, his insights, all of that good stuff is being shared here today. Today we are joined by Brand Pinvidic, who is an award-winning film director, veteran television producer, C-level sales and presentations coach, top-rated podcast host, and a columnist for Forbes, just to name a few of the amazing things he got going on. If you check him out on Instagram, I guarantee you'll see some hibachi lessons and pizza cooking and oh, the list goes on. He's an amazing individual. Now, he has been named as one of the Hollywood Reporter's 30 most powerful reality TV sellers and is widely recognized as one of the great creative sales leaders in Hollywood. Brent grew up in Canada as a serial entrepreneur before moving to the entertainment industry, which is exactly what we're going to dive in here today in just a little bit. His endless energy, quest for adventure, and the three-minute rule, which is his new book, Out Now, have helped make Brent one of the most sought-after C-level consultants in the USA and abroad. Now, when I say this episode is fire, I mean this episode is fire. Brant is an absolutely amazing individual who's blessing us with so much insight into his journey, transitioning from living in Canada, coming to the US, transitioning from a serial entrepreneur to staying a serial entrepreneur, but in the entertainment industry and not in industries that he previously was in. Listen, the list goes on. We're talking about his new book, The Three Minute Rule. He's breaking that down for us, a book that I highly suggest. Listen, there is so much going on in this episode, and I'm really, really excited to share it with you in just a little bit. With that said, I have been running a contest from October 1st to October 31st, which is just a couple days away, and I wanted to make sure that you are participating in it. You can find a new post on Instagram that I just did recently. We're going to keep that open for a little bit, and all of the details for the contest, which will allow you to be featured on an episode here on Decoding Success, where we're choosing one lucky winner. We're going to choose one lucky winner to join us to be interviewed, amplify their business, their message, their story, their product, their services, all of that good stuff. One lucky person is going to be chose for that opportunity. All you have to do very simply is take less than five minutes out of your day to leave us a rating and review here on Decoding Success. No, I'm not asking for five stars. If you want to leave me one and tell me, Matt, you saw I'm cool with that. I want you to be transparent. I want to know how we can improve this show. And that's exactly why we're running this contest. So with that said, you could check that out. Also, there's other ways to enter. Make sure you follow me on social to be able to find out those other ways to enter yourself in this as this contest is closing down in just a few days. Now, these episodes wouldn't be possible without our partners, Gen M and Audible. You've probably heard me talk about them before, but if I didn't mention them, I would be kind of slighting you in a way because these programs are absolutely phenomenal. 
They've helped me level up my life and my business, which is exactly why we partnered with them in the first place to be able to amplify that to all of you. So we're going to kick it off with Jen M, who is helping business owners just like you be able to grow your team effectively and affordably. Now, if you need interns, Gen M is the place for you to do that. I promise you. And listen, when I say effective and affordable, I truly mean it. You're able to refine your search based on exactly what you need to find an intern on their database. And then you communicate with the intern from there on. Listen, this costs less than $150 US dollars. There's no catches here. I promise you. And this is on a quarterly basis. So you have your intern for 90 days. I can't stress how important this has been to my branding agency here in New York City, 1B Branding. And on top of that, we're rocking with Audible. We've been rocking with them for close to a year now. We're we're nearing that one year anniversary. So I'm going to pat myself on the back and say congratulations because that's huge. And I want to say thank you for rocking with us for that long. Now, if you haven't taken advantage of that Audible offer, all you have to do is head over to audibletrial.com forward slash decoding success. You can find the link for the Gen M partnership in the show notes of this episode as well as the Audible link in the show notes of this episode as well, just to make it easy for you. I'm not trying to make anything harder. I want you to check these things out, not because it does anything for me, but because, you know, being of value to you is is really important. And outside of the podcast, being able to provide you with resources like that to level up in life and business is really, really remarkable. So make sure you check that out. Now, enough rambling from me. Without further ado, I bring to you my guy, Brent. Brent, first and foremost, man, thank you. Really grateful to have you here. Really excited to have you here and amplify your message. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. So excited to be here. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. First question straight off the bat for you is how do you personally define success? Um, Listen, I think success defines begins on a financial level, just at the basics of our culture. Like I, I, I love the idea that everybody wants to be like success is inner fulfillment and all that stuff. I get that. But in a more practical way, because I'm a pretty straight guy, in a practical way, it's like, well, once you get a certain amount of financial success, you can work on other success. And I think in, in the real world, those things come hand in hand. So for me, it's, a, it's the ability to achieve financial sort of independence and freedom and success in a way that allows you to explore it more on a personal level and a relationship level. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, I, I want to instantly say thank you for that and keeping it so freaking real here because uh, I mean, hey, like when I look back on my life and, you know, I go back, I'm t- I just turned 27. My birthday was yesterday. Going back to, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 was just all financial, right? Everything was financial. And then, you know, the I guess it's called the hustle porn, right? We see all these people, hey, you need fulfillment, you need this, you need that. So then I tried shifting there and I'm like, well, my financial situation's slacking off now. So, you know, you mentioning that is just so spot on. And I have to ask, taking you or taking us through Brant in high school, let's start there. Who is he? Does he define success the same way? When did you come up with the realization that, hey, financial is the basis of that and then you could build on top? Well, I think it was an evolution, right? In, in high school, I just wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be appreciated and I wanted to be successful at anything. I just wanted to be good at something. And I found that when I grew up, I was just not a good or appreciated anything. I just couldn't find success in any form, financial or or others, or even in success in my relationships. I just had so much struggle. I grew up in Canada and it's just a different entrepreneurial mindset is not the same there. And so I just, I struggled with finding my way for many, many years. Um, I was 30 years old and I was, you know, I had, a, I was just married at a two-year-old 
son. We were living in my parents' basement when I, you know, when I got the break in television, I moved down to this, to Los Angeles. And when I did that, all the other pieces of the puzzle started to come together. So I finally found the financial success I wanted because I started to be good at something and I started to be accepted and appreciated. And that was addictive. And that became my driver. I just wanted to be good. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to win. And coincidentally, the financial rewards sort of came heaping on from that. And then once I got to a, a level of that, it was like, okay, now what's next? How do I fill out the rest of what I do in life? I love that. Now, let me ask you, what were some of the things that you were trying to do that you mentioned you were struggling were, I don't know, was it sports? Was it whatever? I'm curious. I was a serial entrepreneur. I'd have an idea. I'd see something and I'd be like, that would make a great business. And then I would just like close my eyes and run forward into it. And it, you know, that's really tough to do if you're not in the right circumstance. And I, and I teach a lot now about finding the right circumstance to find success. And, and I do a lot at high schools. I speak at a lot of high schools and I ask one of the first questions is what is success to you? And you'd be surprised how many of the kids talk about like being happy with what they do and their personal fulfillment. And I was like, okay, but do you need a house to live in? And like, aren't you going to want to drive a car? And you guys all want new iPhones. Like they, they've been, they've been fed this diet of like this personal fulfillment, which I get, but it's hard to get there if you don't have some financial success, some wins. And that's what I walk them through is as an entrepreneur, you can't do anything you set your mind to, right? Like that's the other things like you can set your mind and do anything like, no, you can't, you got to have situational awareness and you got to understand the process out there of making uh, success for yourself. And if you can choose the right lane, then I say anything you decide to do, do it really well. Like you can do anything, but you, if whatever you decide to do, you got to do it really well. And if you, if you clear out all the clutter and look at like, what's your, you know, the p- potential for success and what you could actually do, that's, I think, so for, far more powerful than belief in yourself. For sure. Now, you know, during that time of struggle, what do you feel like, and you know, this might be hard to, uh, to answer. What do you feel like was like the one thing that life taught you during that period? Was there, maybe there's more than one and by all means share it if there, if there's more, but I'm curious, what do you feel like you learned, um, the most in that time of struggle? I think it was that delusional optimism is healthy because, I, for whatever reason, just kept thinking the next person will get it. They'll understand it. It's going to work out. The next meeting I have is going to change everything. Like I had this delusional thought of that, that I was just one, turning one corner away from, from the light. Right. And so that part was a huge advantage. And as I've, you know, now I've gone through my career, I'd look back and be like, wow, if I had, if I had not had that belief and it was delusional, like this, some of the things that I was into and I had restaurants and bars and nightclubs and web design companies and all these different businesses that there really wasn't a reason for me to be like, okay, this is going to be successful. Yes. At some point you're going to find your way. Like I, there was no way looking at what I was doing to see a path to where I am today. So you need a little bit of the delusional sort of optimism in the sense that it will work out and you will find your way. 
I'm most definitely going to make sure my parents listen to this because I think they need to hear that in regards to me. But so cool. Now, you know, you mentioned web design, restaurants, bars, nightclubs, things of that nature. What was it that you were passionate about at that time? Was it just being quote unquote successful or were you, you know, passionate about one thing and it didn't work? So you tried some more. I was passionate about trying to be accepted and being good at something. That was really all it was. I had, I had good, I thought I had good ideas and clever designs on things and I just wanted them to work and I just wanted to be proven right. And I just wanted to prove the naysayers who looked at me and we like, Oh God, what an idiot. I just wanted to be like, see, I told you. And I just kept batting my head against the wall over and over trying to do that. And I was, and I was really driven. And even when, you know, I had come down to the United States and everything was going so well. And my, and my parents were literally saying like, you got to give this up, get a job. Like, it, you know, it's over. You, this TV show idea that you've had is, is that's taken all your money and your life and, you know, on the verge of bankruptcy and divorce and no friends, like it's time to pack it in. And I was just driven to be like, no, you're wrong. Like I can figure it out. So that, that really drove me. I didn't, have, I didn't follow one of my specific passions to get into. I wasn't passionate about entertainment industry when I first started. I just thought it was a good idea. Would you suggest someone taking that same path in a way, kind of seeking to prove people wrong or acceptance in a way? Like, would you tell someone to take that path if, they, if they're already kind of on it or would you kind of detour them in a different way? Hell no. I, I talk a lot about this. You cannot plot your life looking at someone else's map because what you end up doing is you end up looking at their highlights and it's not a roadmap. My life is not a roadmap. My, ro my life is a highlight reel. And so, yeah, it looks good right now. And you can point to all the things that happened in the past that leave me here, but you don't see all the dips in the valleys. And so I got really lucky and I do not recommend trying to get lucky right? Like I stumbled in really good circumstance and timing. And, and also I put in so much ridiculous work and failed so many times that statistically speaking, I guess I was going to hit, I was going to hit at some point. But the biggest thing I, I try to train and the people I coach is you got to know the difference between self-doubt and situational doubt. Self-doubt is where you're telling yourself, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You need some more credits. You need to be able to get more education. You need to have more success before people will take you seriously. That's your own self-doubt and that's worthless. But situational doubt is important. And it basically tells you if you're going to open a restaurant that this location has been bad for restaurants for 30 years, it's probably not going to work. So belief in yourself is not going to help you, right? And that's what a lot of people fall victim to is they don't listen to the situational doubt. The, the gut feeling that tells you you could put all this work in and get it to the one yard line and the one yard line doesn't count for anything. Yeah, I love that. That's big. Self-doubt versus, I'm, by the way, I'm over here taking notes because that, that right <laughs> there is big. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, you talked about finding that thing you're good at, moving, to, moving here to America from, I believe, Victoria, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Now, that is correct. When you made that transition from Victoria to America, was there anything memorable or worth noting about that transitional period in your life? I mean, I think just the, the acceptance and that the appreciation of potential that this country has is hard for people who are born and grew up here to, to appreciate. Like it was so 
palatable the difference. And I remember, I remember like it was yesterday. It was like, I'd been in the country about six months. I was cruising down the 405 with my convertible Sebring and I had my Blackberry, which was this new thing that everybody had. And everybody in the business was like Blackberry messaging each other. And it was right around Christmas. And I was, you know, sending messages, Hey, Merry Christmas. You know, can't wait to see you after the break kind of stuff. Right. And I remember thinking like, Oh my God, like I have more people that I'm closer to and care about and have a better connection with in six months in this country than I did in 30 years back home. And it's because when you find a level of success or where you're supposed to be, things work. And I will coach people and talk about this a lot. If you're finding that it's not working, if you're, if you're swimming upstream, if everything is difficult, there's, that's a good indication that there's a situational issue and it's not a personal issue. So uh, along those lines, where does becoming an EP come into all of this? I, I know you made the transition here to America for that, but uh, I'm still trying to find it from, you know, owning bars and nightclubs and web design. <laughs> I, I'm trying to put it all together here. Yeah, well, it's tough to put together because it doesn't really connect well. But basically, I had an idea for a TV show and everybody liked it here. And then that was just at the time when TV and reality TV was just getting sort of started and getting its footing. And I was really good in a room pitching ideas because I had spent time as an entrepreneur where if I didn't get you to write a $5,000 check to invest in my idea, I couldn't eat. So I really had developed a skill of pitching my idea, getting people on board without making them realize how desperate I was. And I didn't know how valuable that skill was going to be until later on. And now with the book and whatnot, I've realized that that skill that I've developed through the years just sort of led me into the industry. And you sell a bunch of TV shows and you become valuable in this business real fast. And so my lack of producing experience or the fact that I didn't grow up in the WME mailroom didn't make any difference because I, you know, I put, I put food on the table effectively. Now, what do you feel like is the number one characteristic or trait of an individual that is good at pitching? You just mentioned that. I want to get into your book, The Three-Minute Rule, in just a little bit too. So I'm curious, what do you feel like is that number one thing that stands out in all people, including yourself, that are good at pitching? Well, if I'm boiling it down, it's, listen, the greater your desire to achieve your objective, the more likely you will turn your passion into promotion. And the people who are really good at pitching and presenting don't let you feel how much they want the outcome. They don't let you feel how desperate they are for you to say yes. And that is really the key pitching and presenting. And the people who are good at that do that really well. The, the secondary thing, which is now the most important thing just in our, in our attention-starved society is being able to deliver the idea clear and concisely. If you can translate your idea into someone else's understanding, that's the most effective you can be. And that's just what I've been able to do for years. And this is sort of what I put into the book is I can show you how to take what you believe and the ideas that you have and translate those so that other people understand it the same way you do. I think a really big question here, you know, going back to that point about being desperate, right? You know, maybe, maybe if you are desperate, like that, that's one thing, but not letting it show. And this is way bigger than business too. I mean, I think it comes down to dating and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. And we, we all know desperation is, 
not attractive. So how would you coach someone or, you know, someone listening to this show, how would you help them to lack desperation in terms of coming off to someone as desperate? Yeah, because desperation is repulsive. That's really what it is. And it also affects your credibility. People will, will then believe you'll say anything to get your result. And that's just a lack of, usually it's a lack of confidence and belief in the value of your information. So what I coach is you have to let your information do the work. Whatever you are pitching, presenting, selling about yourself or your business product or service, you got to convey that in a way that the information stands on its own. And I, and I use an example on stage where if, you know, if you were having a wedding and I was going to cater it and I was in charge of that and I was getting a chef, if I had Gordon Ramsay that had agreed to come and be the chef for your wedding, like, how many words would I need to sell you on that? Like probably four. I have Gordon Ramsay, right? And <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't have to sell it. I wouldn't be like desperate to get you to approve it. Like I would be walking in to meet with you with my shoulders back and my chest high and, and smile. Like I would have a level of confidence, not because I'm better, but because I have Gordon Ramsay. Whereas if I had a you know, a high school friend who just got out of jail, who'd never cooked before, and I wanted to get him to be the chef at your wedding how many words would I need to explain that to you, right? And how detailed would I have to be? And how would you, you'd sense that I was trying to sell you it. And your information, whatever it is, is somewhere between the convict who's never cooked before and Gordon Ramsay. And the number of words you use is proportional to how much you believe in your information. So I, I try to get my clients to look at their information as that kind of power? Do you believe it's as effective at having Gordon Ramsay come and cook your wedding? Like a lot of them will say, yes, they believe in it. It's like, okay, then let that stand on its own. Just stop talking basically is what I talk a lot about. Yeah, I love that. And to, to that point, you know, on the topic of desperation and pitching still, uh, I'm still curious, how do you make sure you don't come off as fake, right? Because, you know, if you go into a room to pitch someone and you actually are desperate, how do you make sure that, you know, you don't walk in there some like some bravo macho guy like, hey, like, I, I don't need you fuckers, right? Like, right. <laughs> And that's not, so, that's not the way it is because, again, that's about you and that's about your needs, wants, desires, your positioning. All the things are about you and that's not what you want to do. What you want to do is you want to make it about the information that you are sharing. You want to make it about the value of what you're presenting because really the audience, that's all they want. That's all they want to hear. They just want to hear, okay, what is it? How does it work? Are you sure about that? Okay, how do I get it? Like, that's it. And so somebody who just sticks to that and explains the details is incredibly powerful right now. And it's, and it's compelling. You're drawn to somebody like that because we are so used to the over-marketing and the over-extension and the big promises and all the crap that's out there that we're sensitive to somebody who's like, I'll just tell you what it is and how it works and you can decide on your own. And so it's really not about you and the way you present. It doesn't matter your language. It doesn't matter the tie you wear. It doesn't matter any of that kind of stuff. Like that stuff is small potatoes now. Now it's about like, how quickly and clearly can you get this information out? Yeah, especially with attention spans, you know, I wouldn't even say slowly dwindling down. They're dwindling down at a rate that we have never seen before. So being clear and concise is huge. And, you know, you, you mentioned being great at pitching and, and finding that EP life and being in TV and film, et cetera. Now, when you look back on your journey in that industry, what do you feel are the most valuable things you've learned over that stretch of time? Well, 
certainly the value of keeping things clear and concise and how to deal with people, short attention spans, finicky, sophisticated audiences, which is the core of everything right now. So I remember a specific time I was in the lobby of CBS getting ready for my pitch and out of the pitch room walked Simon Cowell. And I said, hi. And he looked right past me and there, because behind me was Mark Burnett coming in and he was going to be in the pitch after me. So my pitch is wedged between Simon Cowell and Mark Burnett. And I remember be this sort of terrified feeling coming over me. I was, it was early in my career. And I was like, the network president is not going to be interested or entertained or impressed by anything I say on a personal level, like my jokes and my stories and trying to like make myself part of this or my beliefs is not going to impress him. And I, I just got this overwhelming sort of dread and I went in and I was like, I just got to explain the show and deal with the show and how the show works. And then I got to get the hell out of here. And I did that and the show was so clean and so clear and I got great questions. And then I was out of that meeting in like 15 minutes and we sold the show. And I started to replicate that because I realized like, wow, that was so much more effective than me dancing around trying to impress them. And I started to develop that habit of, let me just tell you how this works and why it's good. And, 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 and I let it sit. And then I got this reputation for being this sort of great showman or these you know, amazing pitch deliverable in the room. And I was like, I'm not working all that hard. Like, I'm just dealing with the idea. I don't know why everybody's so impressed, but I've been a buyer where I get pitches all the time and I can see the difference. I love that. Now, you know, you, you clearly figured out how to pitch. So when it comes to actual shows and, and films and things of that nature, what does, a, we'll use show as an example, what does a show need to be able to hook people, right? You're, you're able to hook them with your pitches. Now, what does a show need from the consumer standpoint to hook them? Um, to be honest, I have no idea. Like it's so goddamn hard out there. And that was part of the entertainment business is like we put out, I mean, I've sold hundreds of TV shows and well, I don't know, like 30 or 40 of them get on the air. Like it's, it's a hit or miss thing because the audience in general is really hard to entertain. What was good for me is like that wasn't my first and foremost goal. My first and foremost goal was to get the network to say, I will give you three and a half million dollars for this show to make it. I've never seen it before. I don't know how it's going to work out but I'll pay you to do it. And that was the core of what we do. And then from that point, you know, the network and, and the production company were on the same page being like, I hope people like this television show. Um, but you, you do notice out there in the marketplace that again, like shorter, sweeter, cleaner to the point is the most effective. And that's why, you know, when you do story, right? Madison Avenue is having trouble making you watch a 15 second commercial on YouTube. Like your audience knows they're clicking like next, 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 skip, 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 skip. They won't even make five seconds. Whereas the, you can still go to a movie theater and have somebody sit for two and a half hours without their phone in the dark, not talking to anybody. And that's, that's how story works. When you weave a story and lead people along, it's wildly effective. Story, yeah, story is huge. And that's kind of why I, br you know, bring up the, the question, especially I was going to try and relate that to marketing. You know, I think it's, um, or even branding, right? Just being able to create a sticky brand, something that sticks, something that compels people. And uh, I was curious to hear it from, you know, your, your side. And I think story, man, story always comes back around. It's absolutely huge. And, um, you know, transitioning some more along your story here, why the three minute rule now? Like what told you, what came over you and said, all right, let's, let's put this book out now. 
You know, it's a combination of a couple of things. One, I had got to a level in the entertainment business where I couldn't see, a, you know, the future being a lot different. I was effectively felt like I was making widgets, you know? Um, so I was sort of in a mode. I was running a company, everything was going great. And I had this one incident where an investment banker asked me if I could teach his clients how to pitch their ideas and not put people to sleep. And I had no idea if I could. I went and met with this oil and gas company. I watched them present to a group of investors. It was horrific. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. 23 minutes of nonsense that I couldn't even understand. I worked with him to redefine his pitch and how he presented it. And it was really, really effective. And the guy left me a voicemail in tears, basically saying, you've changed my life. I used to hate going on the road. Now I'm excited. The stock's up. My wife's happy. Like I can never repay you for this. And I remember thinking like no network president has ever said anything like this to me ever. And for a guy who is, you know, I always joke, like I'm two steps from being a caveman. I'm really driven by my ego. That was super addictive. And I'd find that when I'd work with companies, I'd make a profound difference in those people's lives and in the, in the effect of their company. And like, I just wanted to do that more and more. And, and as I went across different industries and fortune 100 companies down to like a plumbing contractor and a PTA president, I was like, wow, these principles that I've developed over the 20 years being in Hollywood are, they, they can be applied anywhere in life, in business. And I was just driven to, to put it out there and make this, uh, you know, my new push. And I'm, I've been so excited about it. I've been excited about it for you because as I mentioned before we started recording, I absolutely love seeing you excited about it on Instagram and getting out there. I think you were just traveling to Vegas because someone bought some books from you. Like, yeah. How, how was that experience? Let me ask that. How, how was that? I mean, it's just funny because I sort of put it out there with this hashtag, like we'll work for books because people keep asking me to do stuff. And I was like, listen, you buy some books, I'll come speak to your company right now. For the next two months, it's like there's this window where I've made a deal with the publisher effectively that I'll do anything to, to market and sell books, right? So somebody asked me this question and then these, pe- <laughs> these people who follow me were like, hey, come have dinner with us. We're doing an event here. And I was like, okay. And they're like, but it's in Vegas. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right, you buy 25 books, I'll come to Vegas for the day. And so they were like, done. And I was like, oh my God, I think they're serious. And so there you go. I went to Vegas, had a great dinner. We had so much fun and it was like, okay. So then I put it out there. Now I got people coming to the house to ride my horses. I got dinners to cook at my house because I got this cool grill thing. Like now I'm going to be working like crazy person to people to buy books. So that's, that <laughs> that's, is the, awesome. that's the deal I made. So here I am. I love that. Now, is that still effective today? Um, yes, it still is. Absolutely. That's amazing. How, yeah. how can people get in contact with you to, to do something like that? Uh, well, I'm easy to find at Brant Pinvidic. Um, you can go to the three minute rule.com or brantpinvidic.com or any of the social networks and just DM me and, and uh, we, can figure, we can figure out what comes next. Oh, that is so awesome. I'm glad we're able to amplify that because I know oh, a great. people that might want to take you up on that. That's awesome. Now, let oh, yeah, me ask I said, you. I sang happy birthday the other day. Like I've been doing some fun stuff. That's so awesome. Now, you brought up the horses. What compelled you to get horses at the house? Now, that's an interesting question nobody's asked me for a while. Um, I bought the house and it had stables and I've always been scared of horses, never had a horse. And after like five years living here, I was like, that's it. I'm getting horses. Like, 
that's what I'm doing. So I got a bunch of horses for the house and now I'm in love. Like, and anybody who has a horse will tell you, like it's, you get connected to them so fast. And so I, I literally love it. I let them in the yard and you've probably seen it on my Instagram and whatnot. Like they'll just come walking by the pool and hang out by the house. And they're just like, it's just so weird and cool and fun. Like I'm kind of addicted to it now. That's awesome. So essentially you stepped into your fear, which is a great point that people could take away from that yeah. you know, somewhat quote unquote silly question. I mean, listen, that, that's a huge answer right there. Yeah, exactly. I love that. All right. So back to the book. I'm sorry I got sidetracked there, but I had to ask those questions. No worries. If people can only take one thing away from the three minute rule, what would you want that one thing to be? Is it about being clear and concise in the pitch or is it something else? I mean, it is really about being clear and concise, but it's basically like, don't try so hard. You don't have to try so hard. People get it and they just want the information. That's it. And like everything in the three minute rule will show you how to build and structure a presentation. So it's closely resembles the way people rationalize their decisions. There's a lot of science behind it, but mostly if I could just get people to understand that your information is the most powerful thing. Clarity is compelling. That's what will draw people to you if you just keep it simple. For sure. Now, you know, you bring up information and I don't want to give away too much of the book because I'm on the last chapter myself and I absolutely love it. But I have to ask this, with information continuously popping up here, what is your advice for individuals in regards to knowing what information the person on the other side of the table or whoever they're presenting to needs to know, right? Because there's a lot of fluff information out there. And oftentimes, like you said, being clear and concise, you don't need to give everything away. So what do you feel like is the... I guess, like, how, how do people find that information or know what that information is? Yeah. You know, here's what I do. I, step one is don't worry about what the audience wants or needs yet. They're going to figure that out for themselves. They know that better than you do. It's fine if you want to ponder it a bit, but building your thing, trying to answer your client's questions and all the crap we've been taught for years, is just not effective anymore. What, you, what, I, what I always say is, and the easiest to do is like, start with what it is. What is it? The first question, get a set of note cards, get post-its, get a marker, and just start bullet pointing out what it is you offer or do or service of the value. When you do it, in the, and if you read the book, you understand, like, once you put it in those simple terms, it'll help you clarify, like, okay, where's the value? And I show people how to do the before and after game, which is like, what information do you need before this? What information do you need after this? And you end up building what I call a string out in entertainment, which is like the collection of all your scenes that you've shot in the movie in order. Now you can edit them. Once you have it like that, now you can edit. And that process and and the whack method that I use in the book sort of helps you define them and filter them out. But it really becomes about what is it that you're offering? How does it actually work? Do you have some facts and figures or logic or reason that backs all that up? And how does somebody actual actually get it or get involved or how do they make some engagement? Like those are the four questions. And if you can just get through those quickly and easily, like people will be so much more responsive. Yeah. You're golden after that. I love that. And I appreciate you breaking that down without giving away the whole book. That That's awesome. Now, Brand, I want to respect your time here. I have a few more questions that we always ask. You've given us a whole bunch of advice. So I have to ask you, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received or, you know, you've ever been given and who gave it to you? 
You know, I think the best piece of advice I ever got was from a record producer named David Foster. It's a very close friend of mine from my hometown, helped me move to the United States. And he basically said, this is where you're meant to be and it's going to be fine. And it was just like the calming nature of finding your place was so powerful for me because I was in such a kinetic place where I was moving at a million miles a second, desperate to fit in, ramming my square peg into any round hole I could find, like just trying to fit in. And he was just like, calm down. You found it. It's right. Let the process happen. And I think, and I find myself being the David Foster to several other people that I mentor, which is like, okay, you found your groove. Now it's time to like take a step back and let the process play out. Like there are no shortcuts. Everything you try to do to cut corn is going to make it longer and more difficult. Let it play. People who do things well end up succeeding and you just got to trust that process. I love that. Yeah. It's a reminder that I constantly need to give myself because oftentimes I find myself moving at 101 miles per hour here in New York City. And, uh, you know, you get those self-deprecating thoughts every now and then that will creep in if things aren't going your way. And now I definitely appreciate that reminder. And, you know, shout out to David for giving you that and, you know, you relaying that back to all of us here. And on the topic of advice still, what on actually on the flip side of it, what was a piece of advice that you didn't necessarily want to hear when it was given to you, but it proved to be true over time? <laughs> oh, I remember it. It was a, a boss I had at a company named GRB and Gary Benz was the owner. And, and, you know, I'd been selling shows. So you're kind of high on the hog at that point and very important. And I had got too big for my britches, as they say. And I was making everything about me and always trying to be the most important person. And, and I was just causing stress and chaos. And he said to me, he said, just flat out, he's like, you know, no one thinks you know how to produce. Like that was his sort of thing where it's like, you're not fooling anybody. Like you don't know what you're doing in this world. Right. And, the, and he was a hundred percent right. But at the time, everything had started going so well that I got big eyes, you know, and I had visions of huge things I could do. And so I started extending my reach into what I thought I could do because I was finding success in one area. And it made me like, it made me uncomfortable, but it made me sort of like reset and focus a little bit more on what I did well. And so then over the years, I developed into a good producer, maybe, <laughs> it depends who you ask. <laughs> but over the years, I developed those skills because I was focused on my main skill, which was creating, developing, and selling TV shows. And I let that happen naturally. And I think that's hard for people too. And I wrote an article for Forbes that sort of resonated with a lot of people, what, which is basically a good idea is not necessarily a good opportunity. And it's really hard for people to distinguish the two things. You know, good ideas for skilled people, they're everywhere. Like everywhere, every day you're looking at good ideas. But what is an actually good opportunity? What is something you can, you know, actualize on and deliver is, is a completely different thing. And knowing, you know, where to put your focus is a really tough skill to, to get right. I'm definitely going to have to check out that article and I'll make sure that it's in the show notes of this episode. So whoever's tuned in right now could check that out as well. And to the point of being big eyed, I have to ask this just to gain some clarity here. You mentioned delusional optimism being healthy. So what's the difference between delusional optimism and big eyed? Is it <laughs> ego side on the big eyed? No, it's listen, it's, it's the, it's the interpretation of your value to the situation, right? Being delusionally optimistic means you 
you believe that things are going to work out regardless of what you're sitting looking at. You believe that things are going to be okay and then you're going to find your way. That is, that's super healthy. But big eyed means like you're taking on more than your skills and your experience and the historical value tell you is going to happen. And that's a big difference. And, and people do that all the time. Because listen, Lady Gaga got up on, to accept an Academy Award and did a minute and a half on how hard her life was and how people told her and rejection and, and nobody wanted her and, and that she just kept pushing past and she finally made it. And it's like, she's one of the most talented entertainers in the world. And if she had struggles, imagine if you're only semi-talented, right? Like you're going to be beating your head against the wall. And I think that that's the problem is we've been told by so many people like you can do it. Don't listen to the people who tell you no. And it's like, Whoa, how about like, let's be realistic of what you can actually do. And for me in that moment, back then I had been in the country for two or three years and like I was on set, you know, exerting myself on other people. And it's like, well, I didn't have any experience in that. That should have been something I could have looked at and be like, Hey, I could probably learn here as opposed to like trying to show people how smart I am. For sure. No, I love it. And I appreciate you breaking that down. Now, I know I asked you a question earlier that you haven't got in a while, but what's a question you wished more people would ask you and how would you answer it? I think at this point, it's like, can you help me? Is because I used to get that a lot. I used to get that a lot because it was new and it was a side thing that I was doing. But now, you know, with the book and the success and, and I've worked with, you know, obviously some high profile people and companies, I get less people looking for help. They're always trying to angle or position or whatnot. It's like, you could just ask me and I'm happy to help you. I like, I like that part in my life right now because again, like I'm pretty ego driven and helping someone succeed feels pretty bloody good. And you get addicted to that really fast. And so I find even now, like I'm doing a lot more work for companies than they're asking because I'm still searching for people to help improve their lives. So Brent, you bring up ego. Now, a lot of people don't want to ask for help because of ego. So what advice would you give them to kind of take that wall down and come to someone for help? Um, pull your head out of your ass is what I would say. That's, <laughs> like, that's part of the process because it, I mean, listen, this is not rocket science, but like, because you need help in one area, doesn't mean you're deficient in everything. Everybody does something well, right? But here's the thing I will tell you for sure. Nobody has all their shit together. Nobody. And I've worked with huge companies that everybody knows that would think they're so put together. And it's like, no, you get in behind the walls and you're like, okay, so you do these things well, but everything else is a mess. Or, you know, I've worked with biotech companies that are these huge scientific breakthroughs and these, you know, immune therapy drugs and fancy scientists at the helm. And you get in there and it's like, okay, so other than the gene therapy that you guys are doing, everything about your, about your company, you're flying by the seat of your pants, right? And like, my life is like that. Your life is like that. Everybody has the things they do really well. And then we're all just trying to put the other pieces together and nobody has it all together. So it's fine to be like, Hey, I need help with this. I'm not good at this. And people will genuinely want to help you. And it doesn't diminish from any of the things you are good at because you're not good in some areas. Oh, for sure. I mean, I needed to hear that myself because oftentimes I'll, I'll get in little spurts of life where I'm just like, no, I know this. I know this. And uh, oftentimes those are the yeah. occurrences where my head is up my ass. So I well, yeah. And you'll find that. that like, I find like sometimes the larger and the more important, the bigger the CEO, the more issues they have with this because there's this, there's this, 
this notion of, imp- of, of proficiency, right? Like you are supposed to be good at all these things. You get promoted to bigger and better jobs and you're just supposed to be good at these things. And so I'll, I'll meet with a lot of companies and the, and the heads of the companies that are expected to do all these elements well, because that's what you would assume you would get, yet they don't have the training, they don't have the background, it's not what they do. And pitching and presenting is, a, is exactly in that. Like they throw their CEOs out on the road trying to raise money for their small cap public company. It's like, well, this guy's a scientist or this guy's an oil and gas exploration expert. Like, why do you think he's going to be able to clearly and concisely explain all the value of his business to savvy investors that they can understand clearly and want to get involved? Like that's, a, that's actually a skill and if they've never spent any time, it's, it's unfair to expect that they're going to be great at it right away. For sure. Yeah. No, I love it, man. I love it. Now, if you could only be remembered for one thing, what would that one thing be and why? Okay. Now that's a good question. Um, I think, I think that I'm, I love to bring people joy. That's really what I want to do. And I, yeah, I mean, you've, as I said, you've followed my Instagram, you know that I like, I love adventure. I love to do fun stuff. I like to help people. So I'm, I'm in a joyous mode in my life. And I feel like that's the most important thing right now is to help people find that. And I, and I help people that are in the beginning of their business stage, try to find it through their business and success that way. And I have people that I have that are already successful in business and are looking to find, you know, joy and success in other areas of their lives. And I'm sort of, I sort of get off on all of it right now. Yeah, I mean, you most definitely exemplify joy on your Instagram. And like I said, it brings me joy seeing someone so happy, someone so excited going through life. It's really awesome. Whether you're making pizza in your backyard or hanging out with Orin Claff, like everything yeah. in between, man, it's really awesome to see. Now, last question for you. If someone came up to you seeking a piece of advice to achieve their own definition of success, what would you tell them? Um, I think the, the, your own definition of success is like, what do you feel you're winning at? Like, when would you feel like you've won? Um, and again, I wrote a Forbes article about this too, about how we, we plan for success, but we don't prepare for it. And even when I teach at high school, I, I try to get them to understand like, what would success look like? Like success that you don't write down or define is pretty hard to achieve, you know? And so what you'll find is what I did for most of my life is I kept moving the goalposts on what I thought success was. And I think that defining it is super important because guaranteed almost everybody that's listening today has had a vision of what they think success was. And if they could go back seven years and look where they are today, they'd be like, Oh my God, if I could just get there, I'd make it, you know, I'd feel like I've made it. And they probably, nobody really feels like that today. And I can tell you from personal experience and the, and the coaching I've done that like five years from now, if you're not defining what you think success is going to be, you won't feel it then either doesn't matter how big your house is. doesn't matter how many cars you get. It's not that those things don't, aren't valuable to you. They are. But unless you practice the ability to enjoy them and, f- and feel like you've made it, you will never actually feel like that. You'll just be chasing the idea of feeling that and it'll never come. Literally in a constant, constant chase. I, I resonate with that on a high level. I definitely do. So I And just break pre- it down. I, I, I have my clients break it down. Okay, what would success for you, Matt, look like in two years from now? If you could write it down, what would it look like in two years, right? What would, what would you have to have done or achieve or have so that you would wake up that morning, take a deep breath and go, wow, I've, I, I feel successful, okay? So you get that. Then it's like, okay, back it up. What would that feel like a year? 
what would that feel like two months from now? Two months from now, what would success feel like to you? What would you have to do in two months? Then break it down even more. Two days. What would success feel like for you in two days? What would you have to do? Well, it's like, you're not going to change massive things about your life, but shouldn't you feel successful two days from now? Like, aren't there things on your list, on your life, in, your, in the way you present yourself that you could feel like, oh man, I was successful this day. These two days, I was successful. And that's what I train. And I, and I train athletes and to think about winning in smaller chunks so that you can so, feel that more often. Now, let me ask, and yeah, I, I really wanted that to be the last question because I want to respect your time, but you know, you bring this up. I have to ask you, how do you balance being too ambitious when it comes to crafting your own definition of success and being realistic at the same time? You know, I don't think you have to worry about it because your brain's okay. going to naturally categorize that stuff. If you think you want to be a billionaire and own the largest company in the world, like there's nothing about thinking that or wanting that or having that as a goal or having that defined as your success that's going to change the way you feel about your day to day. Like that's just a big lofty idea. And yeah, you could say like, oh, if you shoot for the stars, you know what I mean? The worst case scenario, you land on the moon. Like, I get it. That's good mindset. But the truth is, is how you're going to end up and what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis is going to unfold on its own. It's more about what you're doing from hour to hour, day-to-day, week-to-week than your long-term vision, right? What would success look like? What do you want to achieve in the next four days? And can you get to the end of the four? Can you get to Friday and be like, take a deep breath and be like, okay, I crushed that today. I'm, I'm better today than I was yesterday. I, I achieved my goals. You do that more often, whatever lofty goals you have down the road, you'll find. I love it. No, I definitely appreciate that advice, Brent. Now, let me ask, where could people keep up with you on social? Is the book in, you know, all of the, the stores, the Barnes and Noble, et cetera, podcasts, any other projects, yeah. websites, all things of that nature? What do you got going on? So the book is available every single place that a book exists. Uh, Amazon, <laughs> Barnes and Noble, airports, everywhere, hotels, wherever you can buy a book, you're going to be able to find it, which is great. And I hope you will. And go to threeminuterule.com and there's lots of cool stuff there. I give away lots of stuff. I sign things. I send stuff out. Lots of stuff there. I'm at all those social places at Brant Pimbidic. And you can find my podcast. I do Why I'm Not Podcast where I explore cool ideas and people that I don't understand. And my new (laughs) podcast is coming out called IPO, which is ideas, people, and the opportunities they create. And it's all like some of the biggest business leaders in the last three or four decades that have changed the way our culture looks at business and success. And I sit down and interview them. So I'm excited to launch that in the next week or so. So yeah, I'm going to do lots of fun stuff. Busy man. I appreciate it, Brent. Thank you for taking the time today to join us and adding all this value. I really do appreciate it. Right on, right on. And there you have it from my guy, Brent Penvidic. Now, first and foremost, let's make sure we're all connecting with Brent on whichever social platform you prefer, whether that's the LinkedIn's, the Twitter's, the Instagram's, the Facebook's, whatever it is, just make sure you're connecting with him. He has great content coming out all the time. In fact, it's rather entertaining and super educational on top of it all. You can find all of his social links, all of the links to be able to grab a copy of The Three Minute Rule, which is a book that I highly, highly suggest. It is jam 
jam-packed with great information. We didn't really go too deep into it because I didn't want to give everything away. And it's challenging not to give it all away because it's so good and I have so many questions about it. But you can find out for yourself how truly good it is by grabbing yourself a copy on Amazon or wherever you decide to purchase your books. You can find the links in the show notes of this episode on top of his social links. On top of the Forbes articles, which we mentioned, there were two. You could find all of that good stuff linked in the show notes. So again, big shout out to Brands for adding all of this value. Now, as always, I want to make sure that I am breaking down a few of the key points that resonate with me on a super high level. Now, it's it's crazy how success leaves clues because Brent, and this is how I'm going to start it off, Brent mentioned something that another interviewee recently mentioned right here in this month of October. So it was just a couple weeks ago when this episode came out and the other interviewee mentioned it as well and it comes down to being concise. In fact, this has been mentioned multiple times on multiple different levels by actually off the top of my head three people within the last two months. So we're we're hearing this often and success leaves clues so this is a clue to us right we need to be concise in our messaging just think about how short attention spans truly are and this is what no matter what you're doing in life you have to get your point across rather quickly in a manner in a way that says hey this is the this is the information you need Like you need to tell them what they need and they're going to figure it out from there, just like Brand mentioned. So whether you're looking to land the chick to go out on a date with or whether you're looking to land an investment in in the boardroom, like whatever the case is, you need to be concise with your messaging. And I think that's a great, great reminder. On top of that, the second point I'm going to make here is one that, you know, it's I don't want to say natural or something that's common or or something of that nature because it's really not but it's just something that we all need to be reminded about Uh, I mean listen I mean I'm guilty of it so I'm going to be the first one to tell you but Brand talked about no shortcuts and there are no shortcuts in life at all no shortcuts on the road to success no shortcuts on the way to scaling a business no shortcuts in getting to the top of your corporation no shortcuts at all of course there's ways to level up quicker but i wouldn't refer to them as shortcuts like yeah there's ways to avoid the dummy tax by having mentors and by learning from your personal mistakes and things of that nature but listen there are no shortcuts and when you try to take a shortcut you are putting yourself in a position where you might end up three steps back like you don't want to move backwards and uh it happens as long as you're moving it's good but to avoid that just understand there are no shortcuts and that is definitely something that i needed to hear because oftentimes i'll be like oh let me try this new google chrome extension that could level up my linkedin game how many people are running bots on their instagram accounts and it's like yo you are moving backwards i promise you running bots doing this taking shortcuts cuts it listen it don't work it don't work it don't work and i needed to hear that i really needed to hear that and lastly so hard to only give you three points here but lastly i want to talk about clearly defining your definition of success and this is something brandon when i discussed right here at the end of this episode comes down to understanding what like 
break it down to the utmost extent. I'm talking about what will a successful day look like for you today, for tomorrow, for this week, for this month, for this quarter, for this year, for the next five, the next 10, the next 15, right? When you're able to break down your definition of success like that, you know your target. And oftentimes we're like, oh, well, we know our goals. We know that, well, what does success mean to you? Because that will help you craft your goals. And at the end of the day, there this this topic is actually huge because so much comes into play. Not only do your, you know, your definition of success, but your personal values, which should be a guiding, um, you know, your values in general, actually, not just personal, but experience values, giving values, all things of that nature really come into play. And that helps craft the, you know, the, the, direction that gives you the map quest that gives you the the guidance that you really need to be able to achieve that definition of success that you set out for yourself every week every month every quarter every year and so on and so forth so i really needed to hear these three messages personally for myself and i want to know what hit home for you maybe it was 10 different points maybe it was five maybe they're all different from the ones that i talked about here so i would love to connect with you let's brainstorm let's talk about it openly let's set up a call shoot me an email let's do something of that nature i love connecting with all of you all the time so and i I do carve out time for a lot of you so those that know they know and uh it's really fun to chop it up for 20 30 minutes midday about this type of stuff because at the end of the day i want to help you you know achieve your definition of success you're helping me just by being tuned in right now listening to this and i really really appreciate that so again i want to thank you for being a member of our community make sure you're hitting me up on on social at M-A-T-T underscore L-E-B-R-I-S on Twitter and Instagram. LinkedIn is where I'm spending a lot of my time. That is the best place to reach me and Facebook, you can catch me there too because you know the family stuff and things of that nature. I am on there. Matt Labrie, very simply, you can find all of my social links in the show notes of this episode. Again, if you have not entered our contest yet, listen to the beginning of this episode to understand how you can enter it. I think it's really an amazing opportunity that I wish I was provided by any other podcast. I think it's a phenomenal way to create a symbiotic bond and add value to each other, which is phenomenal. On top of that, lastly, just want to give one last shout out to our partners, Gen M and Audible. You can check them out through the show notes, the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.